the slavery that was under Israel was not like the slavery we had in America some 150 years ago that was an abomination to God. It was just and humane and in many ways replaced the current day prison system that we have. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We've begun a new study in the Book of Romans, an epistle written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians living in Rome, but by God's grace preserved and applied to both Christians and non-Christians of the 21st century. Having given a little background on the time and the geographical area of this letter, Pastor Brogy now turns to the author in our message entitled, The World's Greatest Christian. Many people, myself included, think that the Apostle Paul was the greatest follower, the greatest Christian this world has ever known. But I want you to see that there are three dimensions to his greatness. Three things that made him great. Number one, Paul had a master. Number two, Paul had a mission. And number three, Paul had a message. So let's first think about the fact that Paul had a master. Notice how he describes himself in the opening verse. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He calls himself a bondservant, which is another word for slave. As the great apostle, he calls himself a doulos because as Christ's slave, he viewed himself as the Lord's property. Now, this would be a very meaningful world if, word if you lived in the first century world because some 60 million people, many of whom were believers, lived in slavery under the Roman Empire. But the slavery that Paul is going to reference this morning is not an involuntary slavery, but a voluntary slavery. In fact, there's a beautiful word picture in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for this word that's translated slave or bond slave. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy. Understand that the slavery that was under Israel was not like the slavery we had in America some 150 years ago that was an abomination to God. It was just and humane and in many ways replaced the current day prison system that we have. But in Deuteronomy 15, Moses wrote these words. If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years, but in the seventh year you shall set him free. When you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. I, it shall come about if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he fares well with you. In the parallel text in Exodus, it puts it this way. If the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Under these circumstances, Moses says, then... You shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Not by compulsion, but by choice. He shall be your servant. And it's the identical word, doulos, translated in Romans 1.1. 1, 1. 
as a sign and symbol of his choice, he would have his ear there at the doorposts with a hole made in it through and all. So it's not by accident that Paul will write to the church at Galatia, I bear in my body the brand marks, the stigmata, the, the bond slave brands of Jesus Christ. Nobody was more conscious of freedom than probably someone like Paul. And as you read his epistles in the Acts, it is clear that he valued his Roman citizenship. It was a high privilege to be a free man in the Roman Empire. Yet Paul says, I am a slave. I am a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Why? Because he realizes, he said to the Corinthians, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. This man who was once a Christ hater loved Christ with all his heart and offered himself as a bond slave because of the one who had given himself, who had bought him with his own precious blood. And by the time we are finished, Paul and our spiritual hearts are going to invite us to the doorposts to have it all put through our ear. In fact, in chapter 6, he's going to make it very clear that each and every one of us are committed to some form of slavery. The Lord Jesus taught that in John chapter 8. In fact, he taught before we were saved, we're the slave of sin. He said to the religious leaders, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. But Paul says here, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Some translations just say a servant of Christ Jesus. But this is not the typical word, diakonos, that we translate servant or when it's used in a technical sense, deacon. This is a word that refers to a slave. But to distinguish it from involuntary slavery, the New American Standard chooses to translate it not slave, but bond slave. And it does not mean a bond slave that his will, is, it, it, that, that, uh, that I, I'm taking his will rather than my will. There, there's a voluntary dimension to it. You're saying his will is my will. I want his will with all of my heart. And that's what the grace of God does to you. It's one thing to be saved by grace. It's quite another thing to obey the command of the Apostle Peter who says, grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ Jesus. Because the grace of God will teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live holy and sensibly and righteously in this present age. And so Paul says, a bondservant. Do you remember when he was converted as he recapitulates that conversion in Acts 26? He asked, what shall I do, Lord? Not, Lord, what would you have others to do? Not, Lord, what would others have me to do? But, Lord, what shall I do? Paul was a slave of Jesus Christ. He was a man with a master. Secondly, I want you to see that the, a second component that made this man so successful is that the Apostle Paul had a mission. In describing himself here in verse 1, he says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, that means he had a master. Called as an apostle, that means he had a mission. 
Paul claimed the very title that Jesus gave to the twelve as recorded in Luke 6. He refers to himself as an apostle. Out of the 70 disciples that were closest to Jesus, the Lord selected 12 to be apostles. And beyond those 12, the only ones who are given the title is the apostle Paul, James, the half-brother of Christ, and possibly Barnabas. That one's debated. But in verse 1, Paul very clearly is described as an apostle, called as an apostle. And the word apostle is just transliterated virtually into English. It's the Greek word apostolos, and it means a sent one. It describes someone in the first century who is sent out on a mission. And the apostles were called and sent by Jesus Christ to do his work. And an apostle really filled the highest office in the New Testament church. And in many ways, they were universal elders to all the churches. And they carried a very unique authority given to them by Jesus Christ. A sent one, indicating that Jesus Christ had sent them on a mission. And that's why, because Jesus sent them with his authority, he tells them in Matthew 10, he who listens to you listens to me. And he who receives you receives me. To paraphrase it, because your authority is my authority, I authorize you to teach in my name. And so if they embrace what you teach, they embrace me. If they reject what you teach, they reject me. And Paul is added to this select group. On the Damascus road, Jesus said, I am sending you. Ego apostello. Ego apostello. I apostle you, literally. Now, there is no such thing as apostles today. So if you drive by some church and on the sign it says, Apostles so-and-so, that person is either grossly ignorant deceived or a liar. There are no apostles. And there is no such thing as apostolic succession in our day because to be an apostle, the New Testament very clearly teaches you have to have seen the risen Christ, had an audible conversation with the risen Christ, and then be commissioned by the risen Christ. And if you had seen him, spoken to him, and had been commissioned by him, the Bible teaches that would be authenticated. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance. How? By signs and wonders and miracles. Listen, if everyone could do the signs, wonders, and miracles that Paul did as an apostle, then his argument would be absolutely meaningless. These kinds of signs that the apostles did, that God did through them, that authenticated them as God's men are not being done through men today. And there's no need for it. Why? Because the word of God has been completed. The canon of Scripture is closed. There's not a 67th book to the, to the Bible. And so the apostles did unique signs, wonders, and miracles. People were healed just by encountering their shadows. People were healed just by touching one of their handkerchiefs. They literally raised people from the dead. The kinds of miracles and how they were done are being done by no one today. Now, God can still do miracles, but he didn't do them through individuals in the way he did in the first century. 
The only apostolic succession that we have today is the teachings of the apostle plainly found here in the 66 books of the Bible. So Paul is humbly asserting himself as an apostle. He's not bragging. He's just stating in effect that Christ had called him, that he had commissioned him. And by the way, it's not boastful to assert the gifts that God has given you as long as you recognize that they are God-given and for them to function properly, they must function under the grace of God. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle. And so like the other apostles, he had authority because he had been selected and sent by Christ, authorized to preach and teach in his name. Paul was not an apostle by the will of the church. Paul was not an apostle uh, uh, as sent by man. He was an apostle sent and called by Jesus Christ. He is in essence saying, I was sent. I was called. I was enlisted by Jesus Christ. And so when he describes himself to Timothy, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Not by the will of man. Not the, by the will of some ecclesiastical body. But by the will of God himself. And really, though Paul is uniquely, along with a handful of others, called to be an apostle, all of us are called by God to share in many of the ministries of the apostles. For instance, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Did you know that you are just as called as I am to a ministry? of outreach to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. I'm not called as an apostle, no one is, but pastors and missionaries and every born-again child of God is called to go and bear fruit that your fruit might remain. You're just as called to your ministry as I am to mine. Unfortunately, we've created an artificial distinction in our day between the clergy and the laity. But you are just as called to reach the lost as I am called. You are just as called to use your spiritual gifts as I am called to use mine. You are just as called to live a life of purity as I am. The Bible doesn't say, well, pastors live on this level and they have to live on this level, but the rest of you is optional. Oh, no, it's not. God has called us all to the same high and holy calling because equally we are called to be bondservants, slaves of Christ Jesus. It took no less of his blood to affect my calling as a pastor than to affect your calling in your profession and in your job and your ministry that God has given you. So here's Paul. He, he has a master. He is a bond slave of Christ Jesus. He has a mission, a divine summons of God. He is called by God as an apostle. Is it any wonder that the greatest enemy of the church becomes one of the greatest Christians in all of human history. But not only did he have a master and a, and a mission, I want you to see the Apostle Paul had a message. He had a message. Look now again in verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. What was it 
that the Apostle Paul chose to live and die for. Very simply stated here, the gospel of God. Would you circle the word set apart? It's a very important Greek word. It's the Greek word aphorizo. And from the same verb comes a noun, pharisaos. You can hear the word Pharisee. What was a Pharisee? A Pharisee was literally a separated one. The only problem was that the Pharisees had a distorted view of separation. They were simply separated from certain things. But in Scripture, the emphasis is not simply in being separated from certain things, but being separated to certain things. Separation is not simply I don't smoke or drink or watch wicked stuff or act immorally. That's all well and good, but biblical separation is also a call to something. Listen, some of Christians I've met are some of the most mean, ornery and obnoxious people I've ever encountered in the way that they deal with the lost people and sometimes even with the saved. But Paul's emphasis and the word of God's emphasis is not simply being separated from something, but being separated to something. And what is it that he has separated or set apart for? He has set apart, or as the King James renders it, he has separated for the gospel of God. Now, if you think about it, everybody here is separated or set apart to something. And if you listen to a person long enough, what comes out of their mouth will show you what's down in their heart. Listen to a person talk. And after a while, when you hang with them, you discover what it is that is the driving force in their life. But if you're a Christian, no matter what your line of work may be, God teaches you're set apart for the gospel of God. The businessman is not simply to dedicate himself to his business. He is to dedicate his business to the gospel. Listen, whatever you set yourself apart to, you will become like. It will mold you. It will shape you. If you're dedicated to the world, you will become worldly. If you're dedicated to, the, to sin, you will become like the devil. But if you're dedicated to the gospel of God, you will become more and more Christ-like. And there are certain aspects of the gospel message that Paul preached that I want you to note very carefully here in these opening verses. Number one, notice it is the gospel of God. Do you remember English grammar? A lot of you didn't have English grammar. You had New English or Modern English as they called it. But if you remember in English, there's a genitive or a possessive. And so you could render this construction, not just the gospel of God, but God's gospel. Or you could say, this is the gospel whose source is in God. Now in 2 Corinthians, Paul warns of men who preach another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. And I've heard some of these men on television. They will talk about the gospel. They will talk about the spirit. They will even talk about Jesus, but it is another Jesus. When Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, he warned the believers when he wrote that there are some who are wanting to disturb you, who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. 
As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Anathema. It's a very strong word. You could paraphrase it, damned to hell. And Paul says that under the inspiration of the Spirit. Why? Because God hates it when people teach another gospel because God's heart is the salvation of souls. When I read the Book of Mormon or see a copy of it, what they call another testament, I can't help but think of this verse. And the irony of it all is that Joseph Smith said an angel appeared to him who led him to the plates, who helped him to translate those plates regarding his gospel. But Paul is very clear that there is only one gospel, and it is the gospel of God. It is not my gospel. It is not your gospel. It is not this church's gospel. It's not this pastor's gospel. I didn't invent it. The apostles didn't think it up. It was revealed and entrusted to them. It is the gospel of God. We are to preach it. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Vance Habner used to say we're called not to be editors, just newsboys. We don't rewrite it. We don't adapt it to make it seem good for the culture in which we are to live. We are to preach it clearly, precisely, and under the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is going to teach you how if you will stick with me in Romans. I hope you won't miss a single sermon. And if you have to be away on some Sunday, go listen to it online. Learn the book of Romans. It will change your life. Listen, when I think of these guys who stand up in the pulpit week after week, they maybe read a, a passage of Scripture to make it seem like it's Christian, and then they get up and talk about all kinds of things for 30 minutes. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> I'd run out of material in a, in a month. I'm, I'm too dumb to preach that way. But I'm too wise to preach anything other than the gospel of God, the Word of God. And this is God's gospel, and it's found beginning in the book of Genesis all the way through the Revelation. And it is good news to save. Now, I realize that there are some people who can preach the gospel better than I can. But no one can preach a better gospel than the one I preach because there is only one gospel, and this gospel is sourced in God. Notice what else we learn about this gospel in verse 2. Which... He promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, of course, the prophets in the Holy Scriptures he's referring to here is the Old Testament. Uh, just before I preached Obadiah in 2 John, I spent 22 months preaching the book of Genesis. And I can preach the gospel from Genesis. I don't have to preach the gospel just in the New Testament because the plan of salvation is found all the way through the Word of God. Someone might ask, have you read the four Gospels? Yes, but I've read all 66 Gospels because the Gospel is found in every single book. Martin Luther, describing the relationship between the Old and New Testament, wrote a couplet in German that could be translated, enfolded in the Old, unfolded in the New. In the early part of the last century, some anonymous writer said, the new is the old contained, the old is the new explained. The new is the old concealed, the old is the new revealed. The new is the old foreshown, 
The old is the new full grown. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 2. He says, The gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The whole of Scripture is about Jesus Christ. Hold your finger here and turn back to the gospel of John, would you? The gospel of John chapter 5. I want you to see something. Let me just remind you of what took place in the early part of John 5. Jesus comes to a place called the Pool of Bethesda, a word that's common to cities like Bethesda, Bethesda Maryland and uh, hospitals with the word Bethesda in it because it was a place of healing. And Jesus healed a man, a paralytic. And the Jewish leaders got very upset with him because they said he did work on the Sabbath by healing this man. And so Jesus counters them and look down, if you would, at verse uh, 39. He said, you search the scriptures... Because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. Nowhere, I suppose, in anywhere of the Bible is the tragic failure of the Pharisees to grasp God's truth and God's word and its meaning as seen in their study of Scripture. Now, I know if you're using the King James, it, it, it translates it, search the scriptures like a command. And technically, the Greek can be translated as a command or in the indicative. But I think the context best bears out, not so much of something that he's commanding them to do, but he's reminding them of what they have done. He said, you search the scriptures. But the problem is your motivation in that when you study the scriptures, you think that in them you have eternal life. But Jesus wants them to know that there is nothing intrinsically life-giving about the Bible if you do not apply its message. He says it is these, that is the Old Testament scriptures... Remember, the first word of the New Testament had not yet been penned. It is these that bear witness of me. And so Paul is really doing the same thing here in Romans. Don't leave John yet. When he's speaking of the gospel, he's saying the scriptures, the prophets spoke of it. I went through Romans this week and I said, how much does Paul, who has as his theme the gospel, interact with the Old Testament? If I counted it right, he refers to Genesis five times, Exodus four times, Leviticus two times, Deuteronomy five times, 1 Kings two times, Psalms 15 times, Proverbs two times, Isaiah 19 times, Ezekiel one time, Hosea two times, Joel one time, Nahum one time, Habakkuk one time, and Malachi one time. Now, most people, when they think of Jesus Christ, their mind immediately goes to the New Testament. Yet Jesus says before the New Testament was ever written that the scriptures bear witness of me. And if you examine the Old Testament carefully, you will discover that every single Old Testament book in some way references the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus is saying here, you've read it, but you don't get it. Listen, if you read the Old Testament carefully, you're going to discover that the interpretive key is Jesus Christ. Either by predictive prophecy, by type, by revelatory feast, by some anticipatory statute. All of the Old Testament speaks of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. History is His story. The Bible is inspired, literally God-breathed, and every book points to Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, 
From Abraham to Zechariah, it's all about Him. And tomorrow we'll conclude our message entitled, The World's Greatest Christian. If you'd like to listen again to this or any of the messages in our new study of the Book of Romans, you can use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program ROM1. Now, we had originally planned to search the Scriptures trip to Israel in October of this year, but because of the uptick in coronavirus cases, the state of Israel is curtailing trips into its borders. Consequently, we've rescheduled the trip to May of 2022. Now, this is good news if you had wanted to go but for whatever reason failed to sign up. Visit us online at searchthescriptures.org and get all the details of our amazing trip through the Holy Land. But be sure to act quickly as we have until February 8th and you won't want to miss out on this trip of a lifetime. Tomorrow, the conclusion of The World's Greatest Christian. Join us then as we search the scriptures.